So, uh, I don't know if you guys have been paying attention much to uh, what's going on in Israel. Um, I did inform everybody Sunday that Lissy is in Rome. She's out of the country. And I believe all the students now from the Bible College have, have made their way out. Good thing, because soon as Lissy left, uh, 28 communities were evacuated um, in northern Israel, uh, all along the Golan. And now the, the Golan has been shelled and uh, missiles and stuff. And of course, Israel continues to respond. They've um, disabled the Aleppo airport because Iranian troops were, of course, supposedly quietly making them their way in. And, uh, and, and it's true now, um, Iranian proxies are making their way to the borders of Israel in the north and in the south, uh, Lebanon, Syria, and even Jordan now. Uh, all of the Israeli and American embassies have been shut down. Uh, Israeli and American embassies have closed in other parts of the world because of all of the pro-Hamas uh, and Palestinian stuff. And, um, and it, if you've been paying attention, you know, originally it was one uh, uh, ship was going to come in from the U.S. to the Mediterranean, and then two, uh, but they're all over now. Uh, they're in the Red Sea, they're in the Mediterranean, and they're there to provide uh, support. In fact, the... The one ship in the Red Sea intercepted two missiles from Yemen uh, that were on their way to Israel. So Yemen has gotten involved. And so um, I imagine that um, the U.S. is going to be pulled into this, uh, not just for support, but for uh, combat issues. So, yeah, it's pretty crazy. So, um, of course, stuff is coming in from the south. Uh, Stuff is coming in from the north. And now uh, there's been multiple attacks from inside Israel from Arab citizens and things like that. And, you know, this is the, uh, you know, a lot of people don't actually know the history of how Israel came about uh, in the modern era and the propaganda of how they uh, took over and, and they created the, uh, the Palestinian refugee camps. Israel didn't create them. Uh, the Arabs did. And uh, the Israelis, as they were um, in Israel... They had offered equal citizenship rights, everything, to the, the Arabs that were living in there. And the, the idea of a Palestinian uh, is not, uh, there's no such thing as a Palestinian people group. Uh, when um, Bar Kokhba in the rebellion in, in 120 AD took place, it was the final rebellion of the Jews. And at that time, the Romans were so fed up that they decided that what they would do in order to mock the Jews is to call them by the Latin word for their arch enemy, the Philistines. Palestina is the Latin word for Philistine. And so the, the original Palestinians are Jews. And uh, the Jews that have lived in Israel throughout the centuries, the last 2,000 years, have been Palestinians. And in the modern era, when uh, anybody that lived in Israel that was born in there uh, their, their birth certificate says Palestinian. It's whether you were Jew or whether you were Arab or whether you were uh, Greek, it didn't matter. If you were born there, you had a Palestinian uh, birth certificate. And then after the War of Independence, uh, the Jews would have, many of them that were born there, uh, their, their new identity would be uh, a Palestinian Israeli. And, and I've met uh, Jews that, that were uh, alive at that time in Israel that have both on their birth certificate. And so it's through that and then years of propaganda that there's the Palestinians who are actually Arab uh, and then the Israelis 
so it's all this lie, and the whole history uh, is, is all propaganda. Um, the Jews didn't come in and take over. The Jews came in by the UN, and they established kibbutz, uh, which is a currency-free society, little towns, uh, because they didn't have currency. So these communities took care of themselves. But then they began to be raided by Arab raiders. And so then they formed their own militaries to defend uh, the kibbutz. And then eventually it got so bad uh, that you know, the Israelis started to, to get together to, for their own safety. And then there was the great uh, war that ended up being the War of Independence. And then the Israeli state was formed out of that, May 14, 1948. And <clears throat> they have never been uh, a, a people group in the modern era to try to expand their borders. They've always expanded their borders because of the, the, the wars that have been started against them. So when they took the Golan Heights, it was, if you've ever been to Israel, you're down in, on the, the western shores of the Galilee. And when you look east, you just look up the Golan Heights, east and, and north. Well, that's a superior position for launching rockets and, and everything else. And so they had to take that away for their own safety. It wasn't because they were trying to expand their land. and it, Just so many lies uh, throughout history. And uh, if somebody was launching missiles from these hills over here, um, we would just lay down, right? No, not if they were killing our children. We would, we would do something about it. That's all that Israel has done. Uh, they, to this day, uh, any Arab child, Palestinian or otherwise, can get free heart surgery in Israel. They give citizenship to Arabs and Palestinians all the time. The, the, the lies that are told are just crazy. Yeah. So anyway, it's insane. And uh, you know that there is any discussion right now in any society, I don't care if it's Arab, uh, about Hamas being justified. You know, that the people can try to figure out moral reasoning as to why it's okay to, to you know, murder hundreds of innocent people, including babies, and then take people as hostages. It means that our world has been overrun by the God of this age. Amen. It's a mess. And uh, so uh, if you've paid attention to what's happened all over the world, the anti-Semitism for what it is has just risen to the top. Um, you know, in our Ivy League colleges, the, there was a whole um, coalition of actors, playwrights, and voices in the UK today. I think it was 3,000 of them had uh, fully condemned Israel and said nothing about the atrocities committed by Hamas. It's just, it's, it's crazy. So anyway, uh, we need to be praying with John. Uh, even so, come Lord Jesus. The world is, is such a mess. And it, it's weird that a conflict like this would bring out so much hate when the hatred was committed in the conflict uh, on people that were passive. It's very sad. So... Anyway, we are in Isaiah 58. Uh, interesting that we're studying <laughs> the, the people of Israel from ancient times. Um, and we're watching things unfold in modern times in their land. Well, why don't we stand and I'll read the chapter to you and then we'll pray. Yeah. The Lord says, cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways. As a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God, they ask me of ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching God. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? In fact, 
In the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all your laborers. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate and to strife with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast that I have chosen? A day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast, an acceptable day of the Lord? Is this not the fast I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness? To undo the heavy burdens? To let the oppressed go free? And that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh, then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorers of the streets to dwell in. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Well, Father, we thank you for your word. And uh, Lord, there are, as Paul says, there's lessons to learn uh, in the behavior of Israel, even if it's lessons to learn what not to do. But Lord, it's true that we, we recommit the sins of Israel in many ways. And because we're, we're human, we're sinners, we're broken. And Lord, I just pray that you'd speak to us tonight about it. And, um, and Lord, we do pray that you would be with Israel. Uh, we don't pray that you would be with them because they're a righteous people, because they're not. But we pray that you would be with them because, because like you, we hate evil and we love what is good. And we pray for Israel's repentance. They would come to faith in their Messiah or that you would restore them. And Lord, as I learned today, there are missionaries in Gaza. We pray, Lord, that you would protect them and that you'd magnify their voice as they preach the gospel. And uh, just protect them and, and give them, Lord, open doors uh, to do what most people wouldn't dare to do. It's probably as dangerous to be a missionary in Gaza as it is to be an Israeli. So we just pray for them, Lord. Bring many lives to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, good to be seated. All right, Isaiah 58. I guess we could have titled it a, a game of charades. That's probably a movie, though, or something. Uh, but that's what, uh, that's what this uh, chapter is about. It's Isaiah calling the Jews out because they are pretending to be spiritual. Uh, they're going through the you know, pious and religious uh, things, but in reality, their heart's far from God. Their motives are uh, wrong. Their, their true activity and actions are not consistent with the religious behavior. And uh, 
So it is. It's a farce. It's a charade. And, and Isaiah is there like a good prophet uh, to call him out. So the Lord tells him, first of all, he says, cry aloud and spare not. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Have you ever like did a survey of the prophets and what their common message was? Typically, their message wasn't a good message. It was, it was almost always exclusively a message to uh, call the people out for their sin. I think it's something that's actually not being done in the church today very much. Uh, we are so much being absorbed into uh, the world and their ways. The, the culture, instead of being impacted by the church, the church is being impacted by the culture uh, to where you can hardly tell the difference between them. But the, the prophet, you know, the dreadful task of the prophet was to declare the word of God to the people of God. And uh, you, maybe you guys have heard me say it before, but I've said it to my associates many times. The most dangerous thing to do is to preach the word of God to the people of God uh, because the, the people of God have killed more of its prophets than the non-people of God. And, uh, and the thing is, is that when God speaks to the prophets, he oftentimes tells them to omit nothing Spare not a word that God, or that he has, I, he says, have commanded them to speak. And Isaiah here is told to cry out like a trumpet, and the trumpets were used to get the attention of Israel nationally, to whether it was to go to war or whatever, uh, a call to a feast, but it was to get everybody's attention. And here, uh, he's to get everybody's attention so that he can call them out for their sin. That sounds like a real safe job. Yeah. Tell them their transgression. Show them their sin. And whenever a prophet has done this, it typically puts them in peril. And uh, so the prophets, of course, when they receive revelation from God, they hear the message, and it's followed up by, spare not a word. Why? (laughs) Because of what God just told them to say. So they're tempted to, you know, should I cushion this a little bit? Should I be a little more diplomatic? Should I, should I, should I? Or they could be like Moses and say, I'm, I don't speak well. An excuse, you know. Jeremiah was told the same thing. Thus says the Lord, stand in the court of the Lord's house. So stand in the most holy place of Israel, or at least on the, the threshold of it, and speak to all the cities of Judah, which come to worship in the Lord's house. All the words that I command you to speak to them do not diminish a word. And if you've read Jeremiah, you know that he was like, uh, I don't know about all that. Those sound like dangerous words to present to the nation as it was at that time. So it was a temptation. But he says, don't diminish a word. Be thorough. Because if the prophet fails to be thorough, then repentance will not be thorough. And if the repentance is not thorough, there won't be restoration, reconciliation. So the prophet of necessity had to be thorough. Um, and the danger, of course, for Jeremiah was so great that as you read Jeremiah, the Lord is constantly reassuring him, I'll be with you, I'll help you. It doesn't mean that you know, Jeremiah wouldn't be thrown into a cistern full of mud or be taken captive or imprisoned or all of these things, but the Lord was with him. And, uh, but as we know, if the people did not turn from their sins, they turned on the prophet. Yeah. And so nothing was tolerated during Jeremiah's day. And um, instead of ignoring him, though, they just tried to get rid of him. But I love the story of Jeremiah, even though he had no converts. Okay? 
Uh, even though he suffered greatly, it's just his courage and his commitment. He stood in the gate of the temple. He stood in the court of the temple. He stood at the gate of Jerusalem. He stood in Jerusalem. He went to the cities of Judea. He stood before their leaders. He stood before the people. He cried out to everyone, not a single convert. What he did would be equivalent to accessing everybody's social media platform and every news feed. That's basically what he did. And uh, rather than the people repenting, they were enraged. Paul, you know, we would hope that things would change in the New Testament era, but, you know, Paul experienced the same fate from the same people uh, as the Old Testament prophets. And it was his love for his people. You remember he said that he would be accursed for the sake of his own people. And so he risked his life every time he stepped into a synagogue to preach the gospel. Multiple times he was beaten, right? Paul's blood was spilled uh, on many occasions so that he would not be guilty of anyone else's blood. He, he, he says this, Therefore I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all men. Why? Because I have not shunned to declare to you the entire counsel of God. Paul spared not. Okay? So declaring the whole counsel of God, not omitting a word, that's the peculiar task of the prophet. Those who receive it rejoice. They experience salvation, the grace of God. Those who do not receive it, they often stop their ears and they take it out on the, the prophet. Okay? But without their message, nobody can be saved. Paul simplified his message this way. He says, I testify to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. You remember when he stood before Agrippa? He said he was talking about his vision of Jesus, and, and he said, I wasn't disobedient to the heavenly vision, but I preached that they should turn to God and turn away from their sin. So Paul's primary message was the same as the Old Testament prophets. It was to repent and turn to God, and like the Old Testament prophets, he was imprisoned, he was beaten, crazy, crazy life. Yeah, I'm glad I'm not a prophet. Yeah, but it's strange, isn't it, what the word of God does to the human heart? Depending on how the human heart responds, you can do it with indifference, you can do it with rage, others receive it and they live. So Isaiah, like the other prophets, he, he cried out to the people so they, that they might live. But in order to do that, he could not spare a word. He could not pull any punches in regard to their sin. So I think the hardest message to bring is the message of repentance. Because with the, the message of repentance, uh, in it is the, the word repent is, in the scriptures is never um, a suggestion. It's always a command. And uh, to believe is always a command. So repent, that's a command of God. And to believe on Christ Jesus is a command of God. He's not messing around uh, when it comes to the salvation of men. Men must repent, otherwise they can't be forgiven and no life can be bestowed upon them. So <clears throat> the question is here, <clears throat> what was the sin of Israel at this moment that Isaiah was addressing? He's addressed many, many other sins, <clears throat> but here he's addressing something specific. He says, yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinances of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching God. The key word here is yet. Yet. Uh, the ESV renders it this way. 
yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgments of their God and so forth. As if they did these things as if they were a nation that did righteousness. So the people of Judah, they were still coming before God in worship. They were still being present for the teaching of the word. They were probably, as the Old Testament said, they, they're to, to go to the, prof, the, the priests and the Levites to hear the word of God. They were a part of the, the daily worship service. But then they were engaging in ungodly things elsewhere. elsewhere. They were living a double life, pretending to be pious Jews who were loyal to God. You know, right when I wasn't sure if you loved me or not. This is my son Isaac. You can tell by the complexion and everything. I'm a little dry. There's something going around, isn't there? Yeah. Thanks, Isaac. So the Jews, they, they were pretending there was a context in which they would be pious. They would appear to be loyal to God and his word. But in other contexts of life, they were completely deviant. Yeah. And then they wondered why God was silent in regard to their prayers, saying, well, why have we fasted and you see not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. If you pray, you want your voice to be heard on high, don't you? Yeah. So this is the crazy thing. The people were actually fasting and, and praying, and that provides an, an appearance of piety. This Sunday, I asked the, both first service and second service, how many guys fast on a regular basis? Nobody raised their hand. But boy, if you did, in an audience like that, you would have been the cream of the crop. You would have been the most pious people in town, right? So fasting, I mean, this is, this is it. When you afflict yourself, when you go without pleasure, okay, it has this grand appearance of piety, religious devotion. You're the, you're the spiritual one. But as Isaiah is exposing here, it was, they were a fraud. It was all fake. It was a show. <clears throat> Fasting, it's supposed to be a demonstration of humility, of brokenness. At least the type that he's talking about, a brokenness in, in sin or a brokenness over circumstance, a time of repentance. Sorrow over one's sin, seeking God above one's own pleasure. But nothing in their lives apart from that was consistent with the fast. They continued in sin while they fasted. They maintained their ungodly pleasures during their fast. They never stopped doing what their fast meant to communicate. Inordinate pleasures, the mistreatment of those who worked for them, laborers. They were fighting and quarreling. They were abusing people. I think this is the sad habit of, of many. While continuing in sin, uh, in unrepentance, people come to the, with the congregation to worship, you know, lifting their hands, nodding at the teaching of the word, serving in some capacity, all as if their life was consistent with what they just got done doing on a Sunday morning. Yeah? When in reality, just as it was for Israel, as it should be for us, our life here in the congregation should be a reflection of our life everywhere else. Uh, for, the, for the Christian, all life is religious life. All, all life is religious life. Anything else is a double life. That's the charade. That's the farce. And then it is true, you know, 
Those who live this double life often complain that God is not answering their prayers, you know, that he is distant. They're not experiencing his promises. Um, you know, we would say it like this today because we see it so often. You know, they, they fellowship with God's people on one day while fornicating on another day. They worship God on the Lord's day but enjoy the world every other day. They profess to love Christ in one context, but they're somewhat ashamed of him in another. And they complain because they don't experience the abundant life that Jesus talks about in John 10 or, or Paul in Romans chapter 8. And uh, no peace. They don't experience his goodness. It's, it's in the human heart. He says, is it a fast that I have chosen? Uh, how many fasts are prescribed in the scriptures as a part of a, a regular routine for God's people? Do you guys know what it is? How many? You think it's 10 or 5? There's just one. One regular annual fast for the people of Israel. And so God has said, is, is it a fast that I have chosen? A day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord as you have this, this double life? Um, just because there's a fast, you know, that is accompanied with all of the right stuff, you know, they're afflicting themselves, they're abstaining from food, they're, they're bowing their heads in a, a sign of humility, and they have, you know, that peculiar thing of the Middle East, the, the, the sackcloth and the ashes. They have everything that should be there in a fast, uh, but does it mean that it's acceptable to God? Is the outward expression really what this is all about? Well, of course, in itself, it's nothing. If it's not, if it's not an expression from the heart, uh, it doesn't mean anything. And God first searches the heart to see if the outward uh, appearance, the motions are, 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 are a reflection of that. Uh, I think that people think that God is somehow in the dark on what is really happening in people's lives, in their hearts, and their motives, but he knows their motive. Um, I think we think if, that if we had every, everybody else fooled, that God is somehow uh, fooled with them. But he sees the dark as clear as day. And so he's not interested in external displays of piety, but fruit that's consistent with repentance. And so God corrects them. He says, is this not the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness? To undo the heavy burdens? To let the oppressed go free? and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out when you see the naked, that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh? That's a reference to their brethren. They considered all the Jews their own flesh. So the people, they could not ignore or participate in the social ills of their day and be pious at the same time. They just, they can't, they're, they can't come, they're mutually exclusive. Um, their devotion to God uh, would have moved them to repent of oppression or to confront oppressors. It would have moved them to free the oppressed, uh, to share their necessities with those in a state of emergency, those that have been cast out, those that are naked. That's a state of emergency, to go to their, their aid before their voice is heard on high they must repent of their sinful activities or their inactivities because they're sins of omission and commission, correct? If we see oppression, 
and we're not the cause of it, we should do something. If we don't, as the proverb said, for us it is sin. Okay, we must, we must do something. And no amount of fasting will incline God's ear to those who ignore sin. It's repentance that opens communication with God. David said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. The ESV says, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. So to hide it, to conceal it, to withhold it, it, it cuts off communication with God. It, it stops his grace in the life of the believer. But when, through, I know it's like, you know, the simple act of repentance restores all. But man, sometimes repentance is the most difficult because we're so proud, aren't we? I, I love and hate repentance. Hate it when I have to, but I love it when I've done it, right? And God says, you know, that if you repent, he says, your light shall break forth like the morning, your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and speaking wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness, and your darkness shall be as noonday. I love in the previous verse, he says, your healing shall spring forth speedily. That's the result of repentance. It's not this slow process. When, when the b- believer truly repents, he's instantly brought back into fellowship with God, and the communication is brought back open. It's, it's instantaneous. You know, we think oftentimes that we've, we've gone so far in sin that it's going to take all this time for God to receive us back. But as soon as we turn, I mean, look at how fast salvation occurs. As soon as someone repents and this, the very instance that they believe, the soul is regenerated like that. They're adopted into the family of God. They're forgiven and they're justified. They're not a candidate for heaven. They're a citizen of heaven. It's amazing. And when, when believers stray and they repent, it's instantaneous. They immediately find themselves back in the light. The Apostle John said this. He says, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, as, as the Jews were, fasting and being pious, but if we, if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ His son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. 1 John 1, 5 through 10. So if you repent, you're immediately walking in the light. And if you're walking in the light, you have fellowship with him. You know, many people that have just had so many troubles, you know, walking with Christ throughout the years in our experience here at Calvary Chapel. They know that the instant they repent, they're back in fellowship. We're not like, oh, okay. I mean, let's slow down a little bit. You want to come back to the fellowship? No, if we see if we true, true evidence of repentance, we say, please come, hear the word, worship with us. Walk with us in the light. Be restored. That's the goal. Yeah. Puts us back in the light. Fellowship with God and others. He says that if you do this, the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. He shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water 
whose waters do not fail. You remember David, um, you know, after his sin with Uriah and, and Bathsheba, he confessed, you know, he, he talks about the Lord restoring or healing the bones that were broken. He, he's saying that there was a psychological and a physiological effect on his body because of sin. He was dried up inside and he was depleted. He, he lost his joy and his sense of peace. God took that from him. He made him feel that way. He was disciplining David because he loved him so that he could turn David back to him. And then as soon as he repented, you know, God restored all. He could praise him without hypocrisy, and he could then proclaim the goodness of God without hesitation. But here, it's, it's talking about, in the text, it's like David, you know, he says he's going to satisfy them, uh, even in th- their soul, in drought. He talks about strengthening their bones, and then you as an individual will be like a watered garden. You will thrive um, like a spring of water that is, is perpetually flowing. It just doesn't fail. This is just restoring somebody to life. He says, those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. And you should be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. I love this. He talks about the individual and, and, and their repentance, how it affects them. But then it affects society. Well, it's because all Jews were uh, in a, a, a community covenant with one another. And so a lot of the blessings of God were on Israel corporately. So it's because of the nature of the covenant, uh, Israel corporately uh, in their repentance and faithfulness to God had a direct impact on everything that pertained to life. So beginning with the individual, you know, physical, psychological, spiritual, their families, their fields, their flocks, their herds, their economy, national security. Israel's faithfulness to God secured wonderful earthly things for them. Now, we don't have the same covenant with God as they do. Our, our covenant says less about physical well-being and deals almost exclusively with psychological and spiritual well-being. Our covenant, though, is far better, as the author of Hebrews says, better promises, better sacrifice, better high priest, better, better and better and better. The full forgiveness of sins We have, as the author of Hebrews says, the cleansing of our conscience. We have absolute peace with God, the assurance of his love and forgiveness, eternal life. All of ours through repentance and faith. That's lovely. I need that as my alarm clock. He says, if you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, that is your Sabbath from your feet from violating the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, And shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. Then you shall delight yourself in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. So you've probably noticed so far that a lot of this is like an if-then thing through the whole chapter. Verse 13 begins with if. Verse 14 begins with then. If you do that then in repentance you'll experience this. That's most of the chapter. And he brings up the issue of the Sabbath again. We talked about this in the previous chapter, uh, two chapters ago. The Sabbath of the Lord, of course, it, it represents the covenant at Sinai. And it was all meant to be a blessing for the people of Israel. Okay, but it was reviled by them. And we talked about the fascinating thing about 
the, you know, there's circumcision and then there's Sabbath, two major signs of things that represented the entire covenant. But circumcision, it wasn't something that involved your will, was it? Because Jews were circumcised at eight days old. It's not like you came out of the womb, you're like, hey, when do I get circumcised? But the Sabbath was something that you, it was something you did with your own volition, okay? Something you did. And it was supposed to be a blessing to them, but the Sabbath, the, the circumcision isn't a thing of faith. But keeping Sabbath in an ancient agrarian culture is a thing of faith. Those people didn't have the luxury to, to four days out of the week, take the day off. There was too much at risk. They had to attend to their flocks, their fields, everything else. But God says that if you'll do this, I'll ensure that your flocks, your herds, everything else is taken care of. So it was a thing of faith. And God gave it to them to bless them, but they, they reviled it. His gift they rejected, they threw back in his face. But he's saying if they had trusted him, if they had rested in him, they would have been restored. And they would have been able to delight themselves in the Lord. And he would have lavished his covenant blessings upon them. I mean, supernatural stuff in the material world. We've talked about the covenants many times. To Israel, they were given unconditional, and they were given conditional promises. The land promise, uh, the, the promise that through them, God would bless all the families of the earth, the throne promise, these are, these are all unconditional promises. But the covenant made with Israel at Mount Sinai, which is what God is referring to here in this chapter, it was conditional. It was just terms and conditions everywhere. But man, faithfulness to God would have brought on amazing things for them. Just a, like a sampling of them is in Deuteronomy 28, 1 through 14. It's all throughout the law, but there's, they're itemized pretty well. If they were faithful, they would have fallen short of no earthly blessing. Uh, God promises if you're faithful, no enemy could stand against them. Not against five of them. Five would put thousands to flight. All people of the earth would know that Israel belonged to the Lord and they would fear Israel. They would have to clear out the abundance in their storehouses because of the new harvest. They would have to throw out the old to replace it with the new. Not something known in the ancient world. Amazing. Their livestock would never fail. They would never suffer drought, blight, famine, pestilence. No miscarriage among their wives or their livestock. They would never be in debt as a nation, but they would always be in a position to help other nations. The, the covenant promises go on and on and on and on. You realize even with our modern technology in the fields of medicine, of science, of agriculture, mechanics, weapons, it doesn't hold a candle to the supernatural promises that were made to Israel if they were faithful. Their experience could have just been shy of the Edenic reality of Genesis 1 and 2. Crazy. But as Isaiah will say in the next chapter, their sin had separated them from their God and removed them from the covenant blessings. Crazy, huh? All that they could have enjoyed. Well, we as the church, you know, we enjoy some unconditional promises, but we also have some conditional ones. Uh, and those conditions, they're met in the same way as they were for Israel. Faith, repentance, and obedience. You know, through the atonement of Christ... Uh, we have peace with God. We're forgiven, justified, adopted, without conditions. But experience the peace of God is not guaranteed because of those things. We see Christians robbed of their peace all the time. We see Christians that are a mess. 
It's conditioned upon faith, repentance, and obedience. You know, be anxious for nothing, but in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request be known to God and the peace of God. Is there a condition there? It's an if-then, isn't it? Yeah, the, the scriptures are full of that. Yeah, sin destroys peace. It revives our guilt and insecurities as it ought, and it, it affects fellowship with God. It suspends his blessing, and it hurts relationships between believers. As David said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord won't hear me. You know, it's, it's like a, an iron ceiling that nothing can get past. Peter says, just another example of this, that God does not listen to the prayers of the husband who fails to be understanding toward his wife and if he fails to honor her, First Peter 1.7. So if you, if you want God to hear your prayers, husbands, you have to be understanding towards your wife. You have to honor her. Right, ladies? I mean, how offended would you be if your husband mistreated you and he was just so good with God? You'd be like, God, what's going on here? He's a, he's a dirtbag. And yet you, you entertain his prayers? Are you kidding me? What is, what is that? James says that you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. James 4, 3. Something's wrong in the heart. So God isn't going to honor it. Sin in the heart repels God's grace, but repentance restores it. So Isaiah is here pleading with the people of God to repent. Put an end to your rebellion and obey the word. And then you can delight in the Lord. It's not too late at this point for Israel to completely turn and have all of the covenant blessings restored to them. I mean, the covenant was in place until Jesus set it to an end with his sacrifice. So at any time, if they would repent, they could have all of it restored to them. But they were making it impossible for themselves. You know, something I've often thought about in the context of repentance, that you know, God doesn't have to grant it. He's not obligated. Justice does not obligate him to grant repentance to a rebellious sinner. A holy God has no obligation to do that. And so that he would grant repentance to rebels, to those opposed to his kingdom, his will, his holiness, is a demonstration of his, his pure grace. It's his grace. And when we receive his grace to repent, he then opens the storehouse of the abundance of his grace. He gives himself to us. So like Isaiah, you know, if there's anything that is keeping you from experiencing God, his grace, then repent. Con confront your sin without excuse and just be reconciled. And then as he says, you can once again delight in the Lord. Amen. Go ahead and stand up and we'll pray. And I am really dry. Good time to quit, I think. Yeah. Well, Father, obviously we all have sin, but when you call it to our attention... It's time. You're extending grace to us that we might repent. And as a good father, you want us to be with you, to fellowship with you, to rejoice. And as, as John says, that we, we wouldn't be ashamed when you, when you reveal yourself, that we wouldn't be like Adam and hide in the trees of the forest when you come, but we would run out and celebrate the coming of our daddy. Or, as, or Jesus, when you come, we'll come out and rejoice that the groom has come. So Lord, help us to identify sin in our own lives and to be humble. Help us to bring other people in to encourage us and to help us. We're not an island. You've called us as a community to 
to be with others who call upon the name of the Lord with a pure heart. As Paul said to Timothy, Lord, you desire that for us. Help us to desire it. Lord, we love you and we thank you that you're patient and you're gracious. Lord, help us to be a community that reflects that, the graciousness to others. So we just love you. We appreciate all your kindness to us. In Christ's name, amen.